Today's reading is from John chapter 15 verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask a father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. As we approach Christmas, there will be, uh, after family that we talked about in our time last week, there will probably be one other key thing that we all do together that will be on your mind, and that is food. I know that there's gifts and, and everything else, but the things that we do together, we're a family and we come together around a table and we eat. And we eat and we eat. The average person will consume something like 5,000 calories just on Christmas Day alone, which is way more than double what you would ordinarily be expected to eat on a given day. And I suspect most of that is probably chocolate after you've uh, eaten your, your lunch, if you've been restrained enough to make it all the way to lunch without eating half of your selection boxes and whatever else it is you've been given. But overeating, celebrating around food, is what we're all about at Christmas. Every year in the news, there's some um, shop somewhere that there's been a, a fight in the aisles because someone's grabbed the last bag of Brussels sprouts out of somebody else's basket as if that was a sane thing to fight over. Or the last bag of potatoes has been snatched off the shelf just before someone else got there and chaos has ensued because we panic about not having enough food, not having enough to eat on Christmas Day because we feel we ought to eat together on Christmas Day. And there's a big question in society as to why we should do that. It seems like a strange thing to do. And yet for the Christian, there is every reason to do it. Our eating of food together is um, symbolic, as it were, of our unity in Christ. We gather around a table, families eat together, and we are all one family at Christmas time. 
And you can see that in the New Testament as Jesus gathers with his disciples before his crucifixion. They eat the Passover together in the upper room. After uh, the, the birth of the church and the beginning of the book of Acts, you find that the Christians were in and out of each other's homes all the time, breaking bread together. Now that certainly means sharing in communion, but it was a meal around a table. And eating together is something that Christians have always done. It's a celebration of our togetherness. It's a celebration also of the provision that God makes for us. We're confessing in the food that we eat that this has all come from God. And more than that, this food is given to us for a purpose, for our nourishment, for our sustained life, for our satisfaction, and for fuel to see tomorrow and to accomplish whatever it is that lies before us tomorrow. That's what food is for. And by eating together, all of that is bound up in a Christmas celebration. We thank God for the past, for the present and the future. We thank God for one another and we do it together around a table. His gracious provision in the person of his son is summed up in some ways in his provision of food for us. But we know that food isn't the be-all and end-all for Christians, obviously. Jesus says in the end that um, at the very beginning of his ministry, um, when he's being tempted in the wilderness and Satan comes to this starving man and says to him, turn a stone into bread and be, you know, be satisfied, satisfy your hunger. Jesus denies himself and says that man is not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we find later in his ministry, as he's talking with a woman by a well in the heat of the day, his disciples who've been off looking for food come to him and he says he doesn't need any food. And they wonder, has somebody else given him food while we've been away. But he says, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, of my heavenly Father. There is more to life than the simple consumption of food. Although within the the, the eating and drinking that we do around Christmas time, we are remembering and thanking God for his graciousness, as well as looking to the future, which we're going to do later in our service as we eat and drink around the table in a time of communion. That's what communion is all about, eating together as a family, to thank God for the past, to consider our blessings in the present, and to look to the future. And so as we come to our passage this morning, we're going to consider food and drink, but not food and drink simply as, as the stuff that we consume. What is our true food and drink supposed to be at Christmas? Nothing wrong with eating eating turkey and roast potatoes or ham or whatever else it is you have at Christmas time. But what is our true food and drink as a Christian people? And we find in this passage, our true food and drink is actually Christ. Now we have symbolic language of that in the Gospels. Jesus says in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't really have any part with me at all. And he didn't mean that literally. He meant unless you are constantly taking me in, centering yourself, past, present and future on me, you're not going to be sustained. You're not going to be made um, full and 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 satisfied in God, and you're not going to be able to go on into the future fueled and ready to serve Him. And that is where we find our focus on food and drink this morning. 
in Christ. And in John's Gospel, in John chapter 15 in particular, we find that our true food and drink is found in being connected to Christ and drawing our strength and our very life itself from Him. We are nourished, as it were, by abiding in Christ. And as we read the first six verses together, we find that not just the disciples then, but all Christian disciples are given life by abiding in Jesus. Now, what is this to do with food and drink? Well, we find as we eat and as we drink, whether together or as individuals, we do so for a number of different reasons. And the first key reason is the simple sustenance of life. We need to eat and we need to drink Otherwise, we will die. We'll die of starvation or dehydration. We draw our life uh, from the, the food that we eat and the drink that we drink. And Jesus says that there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. And yet, true life, full life, a life not in black and white, but in full color, is found not just in the consumption of food and drink, but in being connected to him and living, abiding in him. These men have gathered together at this festival, this feast, to celebrate the remembrance of God carrying them out of Egypt by um, the, the, uh, the end of the ten plagues, the final plague coming, the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt, and God passed over Israel when they painted the blood uh, of a lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of their homes. And so they, they were carried through death and on into liberty and freedom and ultimately to the promised land. They were given life as a result. And so we find Jesus now coming and picturing himself as a vine. He says in, in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And what he's doing here is he is picturing himself in the place of Israel. Israel for a long time had been pictured as the vine, not just themselves as a nation, but even nations outside identified Israel with the vine and it adorned their coins, there were vines um, used in the, um, in the ornamentation of the temple, uh, carved into um, the woodwork that was uh, part of the, the temple complex. It was a key symbol that Israel was this plant that in and of itself isn't particularly beautiful and yet is a means of abundant blessing. The vine only exists to bear fruit, not because it's particularly pretty to look at. And that was Israel. They were small, they weren't particularly magnificent or spectacular, and yet they were the source of abundant life and blessing. That was how they saw themselves, and that was how other nations saw them as well. And so Jesus comes and says, not Israel is the vine, I am the vine. I am the source of tremendous blessing. And if you want to have life, then you must be connected to me. You must abide in me. You must draw the source of your life from me and not just from the stuff of this world, from the food that you eat and the wine that you drink. And if we want to have life, we find that we must be connected to Jesus so his life runs through our veins, as it were. 
He says in the passage that a branch cannot survive on its own. We understand that. It needs to be connected to the the trunk of the plant, which is connected via the roots into the ground to draw its nourishment up from the ground. And if you cut a branch off, it's going to wither and, and die and then be cast onto the fire. And in verse 16 of our passage, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. He's saying, I chose you and grafted you into myself when you were saved. That is what being saved means. It means that you were at once dead and have now been given life. You draw it through me and are so able to truly live. He is our source of life, as we read in verses 1 and 2. And we are only healthy insofar as we are connected to Jesus. We read uh, in 3, 4 and 5. Abiding in Christ is the only means of truly knowing life. Anything else is simply to to give ourselves over to withering away and dying. And so just as we eat and we drink in order to sustain our physical life, so we must be connected to Jesus and draw our sustenance from Him. Otherwise, we can go on eating and drinking all we want. We won't know true life. But what does abiding in Christ actually mean? Well, in John 6, we read, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Jesus says those words to those following him. Whoever believes in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins abides in him. And he says to his disciples in verse 3 of our passage, Already you are clean, because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's saying to them that there's a play on words that we don't get in English here. When he says that the the father is the vine dresser who is going to um, take away the, the dead branches, cut them off and prune the healthy branches so that they might produce more fruit, a similar word is used here to signify their cleanness. He's saying, you have been saved, you have been connected to me and the father is pruning you, he's cutting away everything unnecessary so that you might bring forth an abundance of fruit because of the life that you draw from me. And so as we hear Jesus' words, as we respond to them that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we are hungry and thirsty and constantly looking for satisfaction, that food and drink, that possessions, that family, that jobs and and, uh, a lovely home can never supply Those things will never fully and finally satisfy you. Jesus says, if you are connected to me, you will have true life in all its abundance. You will have everything you need, not just to exist, but to flourish and to thrive and to put forth fruit. Anything else is simply death. In John 15, uh, verse 10, just a little later in this passage, we find that whoever hears and obeys Jesus' words abides in him. And if we were to read on in the New Testament to 1 John chapter 3, we find whoever loves God and one another like Christ abides in him. And we're going to come to that a little later. The key to our personal and communal thriving 
the key to our not just continued existence, but our blessing is abiding in Christ. Because just as we eat and we drink and we have to have a good and a rich, balanced diet to make sure that we're fit and healthy as human beings, so we need to be connected to Christ if we're going to be fit and healthy, not just physically, but spiritually. Because that is the only place where life is found, in Him. And as a church, we have to remember that, especially as we look to the future, to 2021, that there are all sorts of things that we invest our time and effort in, and yet this is not where the life of the church is found. The life of the church isn't found in many programs and activities and schemes and and effort in the community or within these walls. It is in being connected to Christ, in investing in that life as individuals, but also helping our brothers and sisters to abide in Christ and to grow. And in that way, our church will be strengthened and developed and matured. If we're not abiding in Christ, we're going to lack spiritual life. Our worship will become thin and empty. Our life together will become sort of meaningless because we'll be gathering for no real reason. We'll be celebrating something that isn't really true and vital to each one of us. And we won't have any grounds to be united together. We'll just be doing it for the sake of of being together. And that's not the Christian life in all of its full weighty glory and joy. And our witness will be emptied of all meaning. Why bother telling people about the glory of God and the joy of true life in Him and freedom from sin and freedom from death if we don't know the joy of that because we are not connected to Christ and so don't know it ourselves? Christians are first and foremost a people who are about life. Not just eating and drinking food to sustain us but being connected to Christ so we know it in all its abundant fullness. And if we don't have Christ, then we don't have anything. And so Jesus says that I am the true vine. If you are connected to me, you will have life. So let us abide in Christ and know that the sustenance that we need in order to be alive. He goes on in verses 7 to 11 to say that it's not just about having life, that we need to be connected to Jesus. It is about being filled. We are filled by abiding in Jesus. We understand sometimes the need to just eat to survive, don't we? When I was at Bible college, I I shared accommodation with some students from uh, uh, Burundi, and the guys from Burundi were great, but they weren't phenomenal cooks. And what would tend to happen is you would tend to find them cooking a plate with seven different things on it that would never go together. There would be a plate of just bland plain noodles and then a a sort of a, a cake of tuna or salmon and then Brussels sprouts and then potatoes and then something else. And I remember speaking to them saying, why on earth are you, how can you eat this? They go terribly together. That'll taste awful. And getting the answer back, well, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's all going to be the same in my stomach. And I, I just need to eat something so that I'm not hungry anymore. That was all eating was for him. It was just, just get the food in so that I can live to see tomorrow. There was no sense of enjoyment in the food. It was just a function, a means to an end. And these guys had come from a culture where they'd never cooked a meal in their lives. Their wives had done it all for them. They had no idea. They just wanted to survive. 
And it was great to, to be with them and to, to share in some of that experience of learning and growing together and, and catering literally to, uh, to one another at that time. But that is not how we are to live the Christian life. To just cobble enough together to get by. There is fulfillment, there is satisfaction, there is joy to be found in the Christian life. And Jesus says, as we abide in him, we know that it is the difference between eating just raw ingredients to to survive and eating a delicious meal that has been put together thoughtfully so that we can truly enjoy the experience and not just uh, get to tomorrow. As We find uh, Jesus talking in verses 7 and following. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And he goes on to say, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to experience the full joy of life not simply its existence. And he says in it that as we know life, as we are connected to him and we draw our life, our sustenance, our nourishment from him, we find this gives us a different type of life to the one that we led before. It is qualitatively different. That is to say that we are connected to God. We have a means of access to God through Jesus and so we can come to him in prayer. We don't just have life so that we can get on with doing the things we need to do. We have a God that we can know, a personal relationship with somebody who invests in us and helps us to know that he loves us and is investing in us. So we can see all that God is doing in us and uh, us as a fellowship, not just as individuals, and participate in that life. He gives us meaning and purpose and function. And this is the the joy of human life. It's having a a role to, to perform, something to do, and know that we are making a difference. Know that we are doing something of value and of worth, and doing it well brings us an internal sense of satisfaction and completeness. And we can seek that in all sorts of areas of employment, in the food and the drink that we consume, in the family life that we have, wherever it might be, but we will always have those things taken away from us. And the only thing that will truly abide is the life we have in God that can never be taken from us. And so we find Jesus saying that as you draw life from me, so you know my Father and you can enter into his presence and you can speak to him and he will hear you and respond to you, give you the things that you ask for because you're asking in my name. You're connected to me. It's as if we are reaching down through Jesus into the ground and drawing all the nutrients we need up through the vine. We have that connection, that access. But it all comes by being connected, by abiding in Christ. Now, just to clarify here, Jesus isn't saying if you're a Christian, you can pray in literally anything you pray for. God will just give it to you like he's some cosmic vending machine. He's not saying that. He's saying that if you're connected to me, 
Are you, you are filled with my life. You will want the things that I want. You will be for the things that I'm for, against the things that I'm against. My life will be your life. It will be in you. It will infuse every area of your existence so that you will begin to be more and more like me. That's how this works. And so as we come to God in prayer, the things we ask God for in prayer will be the things He earnestly desires to see in this world. And of course He's going to answer that prayer. He will constantly give us whatever we need in order to grow in that relationship with Him and to accomplish His mission in the world that He's given to each one of us. The building up of the church, the proclamation of the gospel, the seeing of sinners saved and transformed, all of that. And so, of course, as we're connected to Jesus, we find that we will put forth fruit. We will be and coming to God in prayer, we'll be receiving from God and His many blessings to us, and we will be sharing that um, around the church and around the community. And as we abide in Christ, we find there's an expectation that we will use that relationship not just to grow some fruit, but that we will put forth an abundance of fruit. And this will be the source of our joy and the means by which God accomplishes his mission that we'll come to uh, in just a wee moment. If you are healthy, if you are flourishing and thriving and full of life, Jesus says, just like a vine that is healthy and has everything it needs, you're going to put out an abundance of fruit. We tend to think about the fruit that we receive as being perhaps defined by uh, the New Testament as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and, and so on. The fruit of the Spirit. And something that will be of benefit to us as it grows in our lives. And that's right, that's good, and that, that's true. It gives us confidence that we're God's children. It improves our lives as we seek to be faithful and follow Christ. And, and that's good and right and true. Our lives will truly be blessed as we grow this way. However, that doesn't mean that life will be easy. We are given this fruit to enable us to weather the storms and difficulties of lives that we will still experience. But more than that, as we think about the fruit that our lives will produce, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, a large number of those fruit will impact on the lives of other people. We will become a blessing to the people around our, our church, our congregation, our neighborhood, wherever we happen to be. As we are more patient with our neighbors, as we're more loving and we're more kind, that cannot help but overflow out of us into the people around us. These are relational things. And so we find that as we give out, the more we give out, the more we grow. It's this bizarre irony of being connected to Christ. The more we expend, the more of His life we use, the more we have. It never runs out. It never runs dry. And the more we give away, the more blessed we are. Not in terms of giving one thing and receiving two things back. God nowhere promises that that would be the case. And that is an, an appalling thing that sadly many churches still teach to this day. But the more we give out and the more we bless others, the more we are encouraged in Christ that this is truly what our lives are to be like. Jesus wants us to be like He is. And how did He live? He lived a life of sacrifice. He gave literally everything He had for the sake of people who didn't even want to know Him. You and me. 
And so, as we give out and give out and give out sacrificially, we find that we are fulfilled. Because that's what Christ loves to do, longs to see us do. And as we do it, our actions will correspond with that spirit that is within us already. The Holy Spirit. And true satisfaction, true joy, and a sense of of the truth of who we are is given to us. And so we can sacrifice more and more and more for the sake of Christ and only know more and more and more joy and fulfillment. As we abide in Christ, we are given life itself, just as we draw our very life from the food and the drink that we consume. As we abide in Christ, we find that we are fulfilled, we are satisfied, our hunger is um, assuaged, our thirst is quenched. Just as it is when we eat good food prepared well, and glory is given to God as a result. And we find lastly in 12 to 17 that we are, as we abide in Jesus, fueled. The, The consuming of food and drink isn't just to survive because you have expended a certain amount of energy and you need to replace that energy because you can't just constantly give out energy and and not replace it. We'll eventually die if, if we do that. So we need to replace energy lost, which is why we eat and drink. We take joy in the sensory experience of eating and drinking and so we are satisfied by the food that we eat as a part of that process. But we also eat and drink to fuel us for the future, for what is to come. And so we find the love of Christ enables us to bear fruit in verses 12 uh, through 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you and greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. This is the fruit that we are to bear. We finally come to it. We know that we're supposed to abide in Christ which is a sort of a, a, a phrase, words that Christians use and we don't often explain. We know that abiding in Christ means obeying his commandments because that's what Jesus has said. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you are the sort of people who have been given my life, then you will follow in my way. You can't live another way. That's the simple reality of it. And now Jesus tells us what that Uh, life of obedience to his commandments actually is. That we love one another as he has first loved us. And this is the highest and the hardest calling that anyone can ever be given to be willing to lay down everything for the sake of the love of God and the love of other. It is making the love of God manifest in the world. It's a love that constantly gives out with no thought to receiving. It is a love that constantly seeks the best of those around us and the glory of God. It is a love that is grounded in our own experience of God so that when we go out into the world, we have a knowledge that God loved us such that he sent his own son to die for us and we should be willing to go and give all we have for the sake of others and for the glory of God. We know it so we can begin one step at a time to live it out. The fruit we bear is God's mission in the world. Verses 14 through 15, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. There is no sense in which we are simply being used as lackeys by God, as slaves, just 
just you don't need to understand, just perform the action, just do as you're told. Jesus says that's not the way. You are going to bear an abundance of fruit in your life if you're connected to me. And that fruit is going to be used as part of the mission of God in the world. And I'm telling you all about that. I want his kingdom to grow, his will to be established on earth, for him to rule over all things. I'm telling you this so that you know when you're being equipped by this fruit that you're going to grow, how to use it, where to use it, why to use it. You can be creative in your use of these, uh, these gifts that I'm giving you. And the fruit that we bear in this life, the love we have for Christ and for one another and for the lost around us are the means by which God will accomplish his mission in the world. It's the foolishness of the cross. It's the love of God manifest in the world that will conquer all and we reveal it through our love, our care, our service and our worship, all working together to witness to our saving faith that we have by being connected to Christ. And that love that we share that is the means of God accomplishing his work is a sign of our abiding. The whole thing is coiled around on itself. We find it's a circle that as we abide, we put forth fruit and that fruit is a sign that we are truly abiding. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love, will love one another. We notice that the love we have and embody is not just a part of our work in the world, it's part of our assurance that we are truly saved in the first place, that we are abiding in Christ. I think so often we're worried that our faith isn't true, that it isn't strong enough, that God wouldn't bother with someone like me, that God hasn't saved me at all, or that I've failed so many times God must have given up on me. And we look for assurance all over the place. And we look for something that we can sort of mentally acknowledge in our minds, that we can, that we can sort of find written down, you are really a Christian, and say, okay, that's great, and then move on. And yet Jesus says it's far more profound than that. Your assurance comes through your manifesting the fruit of the Spirit as evidence that I am truly within you. And you're using those things in the mission of God. Being active in the Christian life, whatever that looks like, is part of our assurance that we are actually Christians. Now, I'm not saying that just being busy in the church means that you're a Christian. There are lots of busy people in churches who aren't Christians. But when we seek to grow in the Lord, we're coming before Him, we're reading His Word, we're praying, we're confessing our sins, we're asking that He would help to make us more patient or more kind or more gentle. As we receive from others and from the Lord and then seek to use the stuff that we've been given financially, materially, the time that we've been given for the blessing of other people and seek to do so as part of our service to God, all of this works together to remind us that we are truly Christians that we do truly belong to God, that we truly have that life that can't be found anywhere else. In the end, our calling is to be connected to Christ and everything in our life will, one way or another, be marked by that connection, that abiding in Him. And so, as we eat and as we drink, in order to be sustained, in order to be fulfilled and in order to be fueled, to be able to carry on 
tomorrow, so we find we abide in Christ to have life itself. That if he is absent, there is no life. That in being connected to him, we find that we are not just enabled to survive, but we are filled, we are satisfied, we are given a plenty, an abundance that that truly brings us joy and gives us cause to glorify God. And we find that we are given everything we need to carry us out into the world and go on living for him, regardless of the struggles we face that may cause us to doubt, may cause us to give up and wonder if it's ever going to be worth it at all or if this life is the life that we thought it was. We are fueled by that indwelling presence of God that assures us He is with us and reminds us of just why we're doing this in the first place. It is for His glory that we love one another. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas time, as you eat and as you drink, enjoy the experience, especially if you're able to meet with your family and your friends. But remember that Christmas is not just about turkey and potatoes and uh, pudding and whatever else it may happen to be, being together. It is about our food and drink that is Christ himself. For without him, we cannot know life, fulfillment, satisfaction. We cannot be ready to face tomorrow with all of its difficulties. Know Christ as your food and as your drink. We're going to remember this in just a few seconds' time as we gather around the table and we eat and we drink together to remember Christ and the life He and the life He gives us. But as you go out into this coming week, abide in Him and know the fruit that He will cause to burst forth into your life, so that you would have life in all its fullness and be fueled for tomorrow to face uncertain days because he lives within you. Amen.